You're listening to Business Growth Radio, or better known as Solutions on Demand, on WNTW 820 AM or 92.7 FM. I'm William Eastman, your host and managing partner for GrowthWorks Media. Uh, today's show, if you're tracking these so you can uh, come back to them later on, whether you're listening to this live or you listen to a recording or a podcast. If it's if it's Friday, it's live. It's Saturday, it's a rebroadcast. This is show 4.8, and that is around, Build Around You. Now, the context of that is we run four seasons every business year. We're on season four, which means we're in the last quarter of the year. And this theme of this year is owner as executive. And the idea behind this is that we spent the first three seasons focusing on money, profit, and people, and it was all about what to do, and this show is all about you as the business owner because, quite frankly, the tools are meaningless unless, as the business owner, you apply those, and one of the issues there is the challenges that all of us have because none of us are perfect. Uh, There are very few people born to be really great business owners, entrepreneurs, and have the ability to grow their business without outside help, without delegating work. Um, there is a few out there. Maybe Richard Branson might be on that short list. But for the most part, all of us have quirks and idiosyncrasies that make us um, effective at some things and less effective at others. In fact, if you're a long-term listener to the show, you've heard this term almost weekly, is that all small businesses are idiosyncratic. And what that means is that They take on the personality characteristics of the owner and what you're good at, the business is good at. And what you're not good at, the business is not so good at. And so what we've been doing this season is saying, what is it that you have to do as the business owner to get better or what should you be delegating or giving to other people? So one of the assumptions is based upon is one is you're there, that you've been beat up enough over the last few years that you realize that it isn't going to get any bigger unless you do something about that. And that has to start with you. Um, also is that the, the, the issue for you is that you really do want to grow the company. Now, I can't tell you how big it ought to be. That's a personal decision. Every one of us um, have different ideas about how big we want to make our companies and what's going to be our exit strategy, which has been one of the themes here is pick a number on how large you'd like to grow the company and then start working on that at the same time you're thinking about how am I going to leave? And so... Just to give you a sense of where we've been last week, what we talked about was how to look at your own strengths and weaknesses and determine based upon the survey, what should be part of your position description. Last week's show, uh, 4.7 or chapter 7 of our book, Owner as Executive, was all focused in on write your position description first. Now, if I was coming into a company, especially if it was larger, I'd start at the bottom and work my way up. But in this particular case, let's start at the top and work our way down. So last week we talked about that, and I'll show you and I'll tell you in a minute where to find that. This week is going to be, okay, how do I build around me? Now that I've said these are the things I'm good at, these are the things I ought to be doing, how do I build position descriptions around me? And so how do I? How do you get at this information? One is if you want to be actively involved in the show, 804-454-1366. That's 804 804- Four five four one three six six. If you want to listen with the show notes and be able to track what we're talking about, then you need to go to our website, which is Business Growth Radio. That's business. Um, excuse me. That's the name of it. The web address is growthradio.biz. Growthradio.biz. Um, when you get to the homepage, you'll see uh, Solutions on Demand. On the top, you'll see a navigation bar. 
And so where I would go if I was you is go to resources. And if you click that, and our web is running a little slow today, you'll find a couple of tabs on there. And one of the tabs is for solutions. If you click that, that would take that will take you to a survey or an assessment that you can take on your strengths and weaknesses. And if you take that before the next show, I will send you the report. In the middle of that, you'll find our blog site. And uh, if you click that, that'll take you to uh, our current set of show notes. And what we do at our blog site is I have several articles up there related to growing the business. They're all directed at either people uh, who are entrepreneur business owners or people who are kind of in the senior level of any small business in terms of what do I need to know. And so if you click that, then what will happen, it will take you to our blog page. We've got a number of posts up there. It looks like a magazine. Um, go up to the left-hand corner box, click that, and what you'll see is show 4.8, Chapter 8, Build Around You. Okay. So we're going to cover two things in today's show, and that is creating an organizational chart and what are the core functions. But before I go into that, I'll get a couple things I'd like to do. Number one is um, say hello to my partner in crime here. Uh, Tracy Lynn. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning, Bill. Are you still full from Thanksgiving dinner yesterday? You know, I I I didn't eat that much. Oh, that's good. I spent all day cooking, and so by the time it came to dinner, I actually wasn't that hungry. Believe oh, it or you not, were snacking. Yes. Well, you know, I kind of grazed a little <laughs> bit. So, no, but it was pretty good. We had uh, five people at the table, and. Uh, we drank some very good wine that we had been saving for okay. a special event. So I guess yesterday was that. And we had the typical turkey and sweet potatoes and stuffing and all the, the good stuff that makes Thanksgiving dinner something you look forward to every year. It's, in fact, it is my favorite of the holidays. It's my favorite holiday because it takes me, me back to when I was a kid and uh, thinking about when my grandparents were alive and we're all around the table. Yeah, Thanksgiving is a time where you don't have to worry about giving gifts or giving the wrong gift. You can just be together and enjoy a delicious meal and, and, and spend good quality time together. So how many people did you have yesterday? Uh, we had 15. Wow. So um, that's it, it can be overwhelming, but it was it was wonderful. I do have some family that's in town. My brother's in town and his wife and my niece is in town uh, at our house. So, you know, we have a house full and it's wonderful. We spent all day Wednesday baking. My husband made pumpkin cookies. He made a Dutch apple pie. He also made a pumpkin pie. And I made the stuffing, uh, green bean casserole. He fried two turkeys yesterday. Oh, uh, that's what I was going to ask you. How many turkeys with that many people? Two. Uh, both turkeys were probably between 15 and 20 pounds. Wow, that makes sense. So we have a lot of leftovers. Oh, that's awesome. In fact, I, I was thinking when I leave the studio, I'm going to stop and get some rye bread. Oh, yeah. Oh, and for sandwiches. Rye bread and a little mayonnaise and a little salt on that turkey <laughs> is going to taste really good for lunch. Yes, and we're going to be eating a lot of turkey, but it's all good. And um, we it's just nice to, for the family to be all together. You yeah, know? yeah, it is. And so, well, hey, thanks and thanks for handling that last week because uh, the whole thing in Toronto was interesting. And it was all snow, and I'm working with a snow and ice company up there. So it, it was mm -hmm. rather interesting. Oh. And they, they were caught a bit unaware uh, or unready because... Um, so early, I guess. It was an early season. snow even for the Toronto area. 
Wow. Yeah. I think it's going to be a cold, long winter, as I told you a little while ago. Yeah. Well, my old days as a weather forecaster, I had said the same thing to you, is that I I can't predict the snow because that's a different factor. But this is going to be a cold winter. Mm, I can take the cold. The snow, um, not so much. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay. It's always well, different every year. Oh, it is. So anyway... Um, Thanks for being in the studio last week and really helping out because nothing worked last week. <laughs> well, you sounded great on the air, so I'm glad to help out. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Sure so, thing. All right. So let's talk about today's show. And um, let me do a quick review from last week. And if you took the survey, there were 10, I, I don't know if you want to call them competencies or attributes of effective um, business owners and entrepreneurs uh, and so just a quick review, and if you're on the, the show note, 4.8, Chapter 8, on our blog site, and you can get there through the website, which is growthradio.biz, or the other way of getting there is it has its own URL, and it it's spelled incorrectly on purpose because we're branding it. It's owner life, only it's O-W-N-R, no E, dot L-I-F-E. In the upper left-hand corner box, if you click that open, you'll see the 10. And so what they were was opportunity-seeking initiative was one. Risk-taking was two. Number three was a demand for efficiency and quality. Number four was persistence. Number five was commitment to the work contract. Number six was information-seeking. Number seven was goal-setting. Number eight was systematic planning and monitoring. Number nine was persuasion and networking. And number 10 was independence and self-confidence. Now, this was something that was developed in the 60s uh, around effective entrepreneurship. And it actually became part of a UN program that I was part of. I worked for a UNDP for several years, which is uh, UN uh, development programs. And we were doing small business development and economic development in West Africa. And I spent a lot of time in Ghana and um, not a lot of time in Nigeria. Uh, so I made one trip there, but Ghana was where I spent most of my time. And so this is a model that is being used around the world to train people. And the idea behind those 10 were, what is your strengths and weaknesses? So there's a survey. So again, if you want to take that survey, growthradio.biz, go to the resources page, the box on the right side where it says solutions, click that, take that survey. Don't take it now, take it afterwards, and I'll send you that feedback. But the idea behind this was, one, to evaluate whether somebody should be an entrepreneur and business owner because, for example, uh, opportunity-seeking initiative and risk-taking, those two, if you're low on that, you may want to consider getting a job only because uh, the risk-taking involved would be in a business owner is incredible. And so the idea behind that profile is give you strengths and weaknesses. And for the things you're good at, then last week's show was all about, well, how do I how do I structure my job? And then once I take over the things that I'm good at, because here's the assumption. If I'm good at it, I like doing it. And if I'm not good at it, I don't like doing it. And what also what happens is that if I don't like doing it and spending a lot of time trying to get good at it, typically doesn't go very far. Now, if you're alone and you've got three or four employees, let's say you're a much smaller operation, you've got to take these on and you're going to have to struggle with yourself as you get through this. But I want to show you that with four or five people in leadership and management positions, and I'm not talking about workers now, I'm not talking about people doing the work, but just people around you, you can pretty much cover this. So what we did, and, and the reason I these show notes are a little bit more extensive uh, than normal is that 
some things we do on the radio are easily explained, and sometimes you've got to have a visual. So, for example, I think some of the competencies that can be delegated to other people in the organization, for example, is demand for efficiency and quality. That's one you can delegate. Another one is commitment to the work contract. A third one is information seeking. Goal setting is a a fourth one you can delegate. Systematic planning and monitoring. Um, Number five is one that you can delegate and persuasion and networking. Uh, Number six. So those are things that you could give out to other people and let them be good at it. And especially if you're using it as part of the hiring process, you can look for people that have those strengths. Now, what I also did is I did a theoretical breakdown. Now, I can't I'm not going to tell you that this is the way your company ought to be structured because I don't know the business you're in. I don't know how many people you've got, et cetera. But I, I, I took a stab at um, where I would or who I would hire and then assign for these positions. So, for example, you've got a first-line supervisor. I think there are four of these competencies that you want to look for. Uh, one of them is demand for efficiency and quality because, after all, what's the role of a first-line supervisor? It's to make sure that whatever has been sold to the customer is delivered. Uh, quality and efficiency both affect customer satisfaction on one hand, and on the other hand, they affect your margins. Uh, commitment to the work contract, which means basically if we said we're going to do it, we're going to do it because the number one glitch in the customer service or the customer experience chain is failure to deliver on promise. So if you've got a, a supervisor or yourself who has a high commitment to the work contract, uh, they're going to deliver to the customer no matter what. And you couple that with efficiency and quality, maybe they'll do it right the first time and not consistently have to go back. Systematic planning and monitoring is also, I think, critical to first-line supervision because they got to lay out their jobs. As we talked about in Season 2, um, where we talked about cost to profit, is that if you look at your gross margin, you can break it down and say that gross margin or gross profit in a business comes from three, three sources. One is scheduling. And about 85% of all your money is made in scheduling. Uh, number two is um, the actual efficiency of the jobs you assign. So if you give somebody a work order and you say you've got this amount of material and you've got this amount of labor hours and this is the gross margin you've got to get on this job, Uh, That's where this comes in, and that's about 15% of your profit. And then finally, the issue of waste or quality adds another 5%. Even though it looks – its impact on the business is disproportionate to the 5% only because someplace between the 80 uh, 80 and the 15 is that you paid your overhead, you paid everything else. So that 5% typically goes right to the bottom line, so it has a significant impact on profits. and then the last one is persistence uh, for the first-line supervisor. In other words, they stick to it until it is done correctly. And so if I was hiring a first-line supervisor, here are four competencies that I would be looking for. And if you're low in this area, it would be great to have first-line supervisor or supervisors, depending upon how many crews you're running, doing this. Or, you know, how many – if you're running a retail operation, how many different departments do you have in a retail operation? Uh, so now marketing and sales, there are two here that I, I think are essential to anybody in a marketing and sales position. One is information seeking is that if you're going to, in fact, be good at marketing, you have to be on top of the trends and what's going on and the changing, um, taste of customers as they're purchasing. Uh, customers are affected by a number of things. One is the state of the economy right now. 
looks like we're cooling a little bit, but it's still a good growth economy. So that may be affecting their buying taste. Or, for example, if you're in the retail space, um, you know, what's happening right now is this whole shift to online. And my guess is that today, Black Friday, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, will be a great retail day. But my guess is Black Monday, which is the online version of that, is going to actually generate more revenue and profits uh, for the business. So marketing and sales information seeking is one of those. And the next one is persuasion and networking. I know a lot of business owners either don't have the time or the inclination to join groups like BNI or any of those type of network groups where you get in front of either potential customers or they are businesses themselves who may have customers that they could refer you to, which enhances their offer because the more you can help a customer, even if it's not something you do, as long as you're not taking money out of your own pocket, builds your reputation with them, uh, or you just, you, or you don't like doing it. I know a lot of business owners don't like the idea of going out and doing this type of stuff. Well, if you got somebody in marketing and sales, what should they be doing? Constantly out there collecting information about the market and constantly networking with people and persuading them that your business offers the right thing. Now, what I added on here as a third position, and I call it administrative assistant, it could be office manager. Uh, the title doesn't matter, but one of the things that I would have in, here is somebody who is very much into information seeking. And I'm going to break the roles down a little bit more, but somebody who is really involved with keeping their fingers on the pulse of the business. And this information seeking doesn't have to be external. It can be internal to the business. Okay, so as the owner, chief executive, what do you need to hold on to unless you're in th – these are just absolute weaknesses. And I would say to you that if, the, if you're weak in the following three, you may want to reconsider being in business because this is really the core of any good owner, entrepreneur, or executive. One is risk-taking. All businesses require risks. So the issue is that how do you how do you manage the risks out there? If you go totally risk-averse, your business will go nowhere. Number two is goal-setting. And, and maybe not so much goal setting for a job, but goal setting for the overall business because the company has to stake out for itself several clear objectives of what it's trying to accomplish. And, and um, the way I look at it and the way we run our business, we got yearly um, goals and objectives. We've got quarterly. We've got monthly. And if you wanted to, you could break it down by the week. But it just depends upon the job. But I need to put those out there and I need to share those and people need to see them. And so that they understand that when they're doing their job, when I write a position description, which we did last week, and that template's out there for you, um, that doing your job doesn't matter if it's not moving the business forward. Uh, otherwise, it's just wasted motion. And then the third one I think that the owner must hold on to and own is opportunity-seeking and initiative. In other words, you, you're looking at the market just like somebody else, like your marketing and salesperson. They're coming to you going, hey, I, we see this going on. What opportunities does that present? And for all of you that are familiar with the SWOT model, a good way of looking at uh, the future and the present is uh, when you look at the present, you're looking at strengths and weaknesses of the business. And so what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And so the focus should be how do we expand the, the good and how do we mitigate the bad? How do we, you know, make it le have less impact, make it go away? Well, opportunities and threats 
are more of looking to the future saying, as things are changing and buying tastes are changing, what are the opportunities does it present to us as well as what are the threats to the business? I mean, I, I, uh, I guess it was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, where they announced that Sears was going bankrupt. And Sears is a great example of a company who just didn't see the threats coming in the environment or they saw the threats, but they did nothing effectively to change their business model um, to take advantage of that. I had the, I, I would say, the good fortune, maybe the misfortune, about 20 years ago of having Kmart as a client. We had them for six months and then we didn't renew we didn't renew our contract with them because Kmart was looking at the threats in the environment uh coming at them, you know, basically between Walmart and Target. Uh Kmart was having their lunch uh handed to them. And what they failed to do is they failed to change their business model to deal with these threats. And you can see where we are right now. In fact Sears bought them out and you know the marriage of two unsuccessful companies usually leads to a very unsuccessful um, entity at the end of that. And so we decided as a consulting firm not to work with Kmart anymore simply because we could not affect the change that they needed to have within the business. So that is just a preliminary breakdown. You can break these down differently. If you engage with me, 804-454-1366, that's 804-454-1366. We can talk through these in terms of how to disseminate them, but you get the idea here is Take the ones that you're good at, keep them as part of your position, the ones that you're not good at or you don't like doing, then what we need to do is we need to take those and place them in kind of the in the places within the business that make some sense. Now, I'm coming up on a hard break here at the bottom of the hour, so what I don't want to do is introduce a new subject too much, but what I want to say to you is that if you wanted some resources uh, to talk about this a little bit more, I would recommend that... If you're on our uh, blog page, that's ownerlife, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E, and you've opened up show notes for uh, Chapter 8, what you'll see there as you scroll down is you'll see in red uh, Show 2-2 and Show 2-3, which is the lean mindset in business processes under control. My recommendation would be to click those, and those are podcasts that we did earlier in the year here at uh, WNTW about how to take a look at the whole process of the business. So if you click those, it's on SoundCloud. They're about 53 minutes in duration, but I think it gives you a good background because if I was to get into any one of these as background information, the show is basically over. In fact, we won't be done at uh, 10 o'clock. So the Lean Mindset is one that's show 2.2 on on SoundCloud, on our SoundCloud channel, or show 2.3, which is business processes under control. Those are the things that you need to do. And the reason for it is very simple. When we build, and I'm talking about myself, our company, GrowthWorks, when we build a process for people, uh, or I should say when we are asked to develop position descriptions, we don't develop them first, we develop them third. We map a process, we take all the steps out, we write standard operating procedures for all of that, and then now you divvy up the the SOPs, the elements of the SOP, into position descriptions, and now suddenly you've defined a job. So with that, um, I'll see you on the other side of the break. Take care.
You are listening to Business Growth Radio Solutions on Demand on WNTW 820 AM, 92.7 FM. I almost screwed that up a couple times because I remember our other station. But anyway, I'm William Eastman. I'm Managing Partner for GrowthWorks Media. I'm your host for today's show. Uh, and my responsibility in, in my organization you know, on the media side is to take that the work we're doing as consultants and turn that into materials that you can use. And the idea behind Solutions on Demand is pretty simple, is that you can hire us to come into your company, or you can listen to the radio show because I'm basically covering the details. And so my experience with business owners and executives is that most of them have the brains to do what we're doing. They just don't have the hands. They don't have the time. And so we, we, what we try to do with the radio show is give you the opportunity to pick up the same material. So if you listen to the podcast, the show live, or you listen to it recorded, or you download the podcast, and you look at the show notes, you, you're going to have pretty much what you need. And then if you need to get a hold of us, uh, contacting us is going to be pretty simple. But for the purposes of the show, there's two things I recommend you do. First of all, you're not. This is not going to make a lot of sense to you, you know, especially if you're driving in a car and you can't write anything down. Um, but if you've had that opportunity, go to our uh, website, Growth Radio. That's growthradio.biz. And um, if you go to the section that says resources, click it. It's the last one on the navigation bar. And you go to the middle where it says our blog and uh, knowledge. Click that button. That'll take you to our blog site. And if you go to the left-hand corner box and click that, that's the notes for today's show. Now, or the other option is you can go directly to the blog site, and that's Owner Life, misspelled on purpose because we're branding it, O-W-N-R dot L-I-F-E. And the same thing, left-hand corner box, and you can open up the show notes. Also, especially if you're in the car and you're driving and so you can't pull the notes up, but if you want to be more active in your participation, you can dial in at 804-454. One three six six. That's eight zero four four five four one three six six. So let's go back to the show notes. So what I did here, uh, right before the break, is I gave you uh, a link to two podcasts that we did in, here at NTW, uh, and do, 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 uh, probably April is when we did the show, and it's show two dot two, which is on the lean mindset, which is a way of looking at the business from the perspective of lean. Even though most people will say lean manufacturing, it has nothing to do with manufacturing. It has everything to do with how do you make whatever it is that you deliver to customers. You may be making things or it may be a service delivery, but the idea is what's the mindset I want to look at the business from? And then number two is uh, how do I get processes under control? That is the, that's critical because what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about what I consider to be the 10 core processes to any business. Now, you may not see this written down any place, and they have different names. I'm going to be using mine. But these are the 10 core processes that I see in every business. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to ask and answer the question, and that is, um, what should I do? Where do I start this process, and who should own what? Okay. So the 10 I have for you here, uh, one is the strategic plan. Every business has to put together a year plan about how you're going to get from where you are to where you want to go, whatever you want to call it. I don't call it a business plan because most of the time that's perceived as the thing you hand to the bank to get a loan. Yeah, there are some elements in there of this, but this is an operational plan that should be on you all the time saying this week, this month, we got to get the following done as a business. And that's independent of customers, by the way. This is not like we've got we've got five installs to do this week. 
Okay, that's not it. This is more of this is what we're trying to achieve with the business. A second one that goes along with that is budgeting. And budgeting in small businesses for most business owners, and I've been here myself, when your cash flow is kind of tight and it's not that predictable, uh, we budget by uh, the the uh, concept of replacement. In other words, we don't spend any money until we replace it with other money coming in. And the reality of that is then you're never ready to take advantage of opportunities. The third one is the whole process of how do I get new accounts, new customers, new customer acquisition, and everything that's involved in that. Typically, that's marketing and sales. Um, the customer experience is also one. Uh, you could call it customer service you like. I like to focus more on the experience of doing business with you. So it's bigger than just customers being satisfied or dissatisfied. But what is the nature of the whole experience from the time that you first touched them with marketing collateral so you got them involved in the sales process to they came to your building, walked into your store, to you've delivered whatever it is that you're supposed to deliver, and then they've got issues after that. All right? And um, then the next two go together in terms of what's the process around how we produce what we produce, whether we make something or we deliver a service, what does that process look like? Then what we have is the development of new stuff. That's also kind of a process that you need to be taking a look at. Then we get into the people area, and so there's two areas for people. One is the whole issue around the development of people, employee development, and that's everything from recruiting, selecting, onboarding, and training personnel. How do I get them from off the street into my company, which was the theme, by the way, of last season when we we talked about winning the talent war, which we covered in uh, July through September. And then on the other side of that is the issue of performance management and what I'm talking about here is not necessarily just, you know, if, you, if you've worked in a large corporation, more than likely you have a yearly or bi-yearly uh, appraisal. Is much more about how do I set up a system to manage the performance of the company. And that gets down to an individual level or up to a higher level. Then the last two go together, and that is the issue of financial accounting, which is what most of us do when we hire a bookkeeper. This is the records that we got to keep to keep our creditors satisfied, to keep the IRS happy, etc. Well, there's another side of that, and it's a different set of it's not a different set of numbers, but rather what it is is a different way of accounting for that. Because if you've tried to use your profit and loss statement or your statement of cash flows, um, which is you know if you look at the three basic statements that are critical in a small business, you have the balance sheet, which is basically you take it for. What are we, in November? So you looked at October balance sheet. You looked at September balance sheet. So let's take September and October. They're different. They've changed. Then what you do is you take a look at your profit and loss statement and your statement of cash flow, and you take a look at it and use that to describe how we went from October to November. And it's a good way of giving you a handle on what decisions are being made in the company. But notice is that you can't make decisions about November until you get the November balance sheet in this system. And so you never can use this as real-time data uh, to you know, make better decisions as the owner with the company, or if you're delegating some of those decisions down for those people. So the managerial accounting is a different way of composing the numbers. Now, a term that's used in the industry a lot, and I use it, is called ABC, and that's activity-based costing. All that means is that every step in a process is fully burdened or loaded with all the cost. And so you may have variable costs assigned to it. You may have overhead costs. 
But what happens when you do that is that now you have a real-time metric of how the business is operating, and you're not going to wait till the middle of the following month to find out what you shouldn't have done. You'll have real-time data that says this is what we should do. So what you find in any company, any business, are these. Now, the question is, you know, do you have them all at once? Well, absolutely not, because, you know, if you think about it, um, it, that's not possible. This is built into progression, and who gets them? So what I did on the show notes is I said, okay, let me talk about where I believe who should own these processes, who should be in control. So, for example, if you, as the business owner, the owner is executive, I think there are four that you got to own. Uh, now, maybe you're going to get other people to do some of the work, but you got to own these. One is a strategic plan. It isn't going to come out of anybody said but yours. Budgeting is the same deal, the allocation of funds. Um, and when what are we going to spend when on what? has to come from the owner. Number three is the issue of performance management. I think this is an owner responsibility because really what you're looking at is the plan is what we intend to do. The budget is the resources we assign to that. Then the performance management piece is to say, how well are we doing that? How will we spend that money? What type of performance are we getting for the budget that we've allocated to the plan? And in the last one, I think product and service development, developing something new also falls into the, the realm of where the business owner ought to be. And again, you can delegate some of this out, but you really got to own it. Now, administrative assistant, office manager, whatever, um, I would put managerial accounting onto them. And what I mean by managerial accounting is what we talked about before, is getting them to help you build, take the same numbers that are being produced for the financial statements and... Um, reallocate those numbers to the activities in the business, both the the ones that are directed at delivering stuff to the customer, which would be your variable cost, and also the overhead of running the company. And so that's your fixed cost. And so I would, one of the primary jobs of an administrative assistant to me would be to manage this. Now, obviously, they'll be answering the phone, handling correspondence. There's other things they'll be doing. But the core process, this has got to be owned by somebody. And having an administrative assistant handle this would probably be a good move. Now, if you had a, an accountant who worked internally to the company, I would suggest that perhaps that goes there. But I'm going to pick the administrative assistant because I think most business owners, you need one. Supervisors, they got two processes they got to own. One is production and the other one's employee development. Nobody else can do these. You're not on site. The supervisor's on site. What's, what do they get hired to do? Get the job done within the time and resources allocated to them. And then number two, their whole treatment and development of personnel. Now, your accountant has the financial accounting piece. And this, I would, unless you are, say, around $10, mil, then you, $10 million in revenue, you may want to consider having an internal position. I'd outsource this. And so I have somebody handling this. They're doing what they're good at. They're producing the numbers. And so what will happen is when I get them, I won't be surprised about what I didn't do over the period. And in marketing and sales, there should be a manager or somebody responsible for marketing and sales. doesn't mean that the owner doesn't get involved in this, but I really think you need to have somebody that's focused on this. And acquiring new accounts and the customer experience should be included in there. And one of the things I want you to notice is that, and I alluded to this before we went on the break, is that a lot of organizations – will build an org chart based on functions. And the challenge with that is if a process crosses a function, in other words, you've got accounting, you've got marketing, you've got production, you've got customer service, et cetera, 
kind of the standard stuff. You may have contracting department, depending upon the industry you're in. If a process goes across those, what you'll find is you're going to multiply the amount of time it takes to get it done, and you're going to multiply the number of uh, mistakes that can be made. Because if I run a function, uh, I'm, I'm, I am responsible for just these things. I typically don't care very much about what happens upstream from me, the work that's done before it gets to me, and I typically don't care a whole lot about the work that's downstream. When I'm done and I hand it to somebody else in the company, um, it's their problem. And I heartily recommend that you have one person responsible for a process. And if you do that, then it gets done faster and you have fewer defects. All right, so now... I'm getting into when should you start. And so the question now is, and this is getting into information that some of this we've covered in previous shows. What I did here is that if you're on the um, if you're on the show notes, you'll see in red like I did before. I've put some links in here because I can't cover all of this within the context of uh, 53 minutes. So. In the work that we did, and I, I, I know I've talked about this in several shows, we, we work from the concept that there's six stages to the growth of business, or well, really five plus one. And so very quickly, stage one is before you open doors and you start running the company. Stage two is all about sales and cash. Cash is king. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to prove the business idea that you had, the business model that you're using. And how do you know that you're out of stage two? is that you have sufficient predictable cash flow. You can pay all the bills, including yourself. You're not behind in your uh, accounts payable. And that you got some money left over so that you can begin the budgeting process. Stage three, we call that the next act. And what that means is that you kind of catch your breath, you prove the business idea, and I can guarantee that whatever you thought you were going to do before you started, some of that has gone away because now you have the reality of this is really where the market is. And at this stage is where you really begin to build the infrastructure for the business so that you can grow it more. Because right now the company has not performed up to the capacity that's been built into it. Stage four, which is not on my show notes, is where you see the hockey stick growth. When you see a company that's ramping up and you've got, if you're on Facebook Live, let me see here in my hand, you get that hockey stick where the growth of the business just takes off. That's because you did everything else. Stage five and that's why the normal stages, uh, stage five is where you basically are at the top. You're at the very top of the, of the curve in the business. And now you're at that point where you have three options. One of them is bad. Option number one is that if you're going to sell the company, it's never going to be worth more money than it is today. And so if you're going to sell it, sell it now. However, you have, you will have had to make that decision much earlier in the process. Uh, because if you just get up here and you decide to sell it, um, it's it's probably too late. So this is something you're going to make a decision on a lot earlier. But that's option one. Option two is you say, hey, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reinvent the business. I'm going to take a look at what we're doing, and I'm going to reinvent it for another spurt of growth. So kind of view that like an airplane doing a loop. You come around the top, you do a loop, and you take off again. The third one is the, the business will never stay at the top, so the third option is the bad one. It begins to decay and die. There's no need to talk about it because I don't think that that's, a, that's really an important, important topic. And um, uh, so given that, stage one, what must you build before you open the door? You've got to put together a strategic plan. You've got to get your products and services developed. What, do you, what is it that you're going to sell? 
And then number three, you got to get your books. You got to get your accounting set up. You don't do those three things before you start. You're going to be in serious trouble when you got rolling, when you get rolling. So those are the three processes that have to happen in stage one. And stage two, which is all about sales, marketing and sales, it's what's the process for getting new accounts? What's the process for keeping the accounts you've got? And then what's the process for production? How are we, in fact, going to make the things that we sell or the services that we deliver? Stage three is the one that's got the most in it. And stage three is this is typically now you're ready to do managerial accounting. And it's difficult to budget without managerial accounting. So in stage three, you're taking a look at how do I understand day-to-day, take the numbers from our financials, and how do I understand what's going on in the business day-to-day? Then I can assign, begin to assign budgets in terms of how we're going to spend money. This is when employee development becomes critical. Uh, up till now, you've been going as fast as you can go. Now you've got an opportunity to take a look at who you're bringing in and how you're developing them and how you're keeping them. And then finally, how are you going to measure performance in the company? When you get to stage four and hockey stick growth, if this stuff is set up, you're going to go. Stage five, you've got to make that decision of where are we going, and if I'm making the assumption here, you're going to say, now, I don't want to sell it, and I don't want it to decline, so what I want to do is I want to kind of reinvent the business, and that gets you to stage six. And if you look at the show notes in red, I have uh, a number of posts on the blog site on owner.life where I talk about these, so it'll give you some idea. And by the way, I didn't list everything that's on the site because there'd be too many links, but everything you need to know about growing a business, just about, I've written some article on it, and it's here. And so that's how I make a decision. So let's go back and, and review the bidding here, is that we go back to the beginning, and what we basically say is when you took the survey or the assessment yourself, you were evaluated on strengths and weaknesses. And if you haven't done it, my recommendation is growthradio.biz. That's growthradio.biz. Go to resources page. When that opens up on the on the right side, you'll see resources. Excuse me. You'll see um, solutions. Click that. Take that survey. I'll give you feedback. Once I understand what I'm good and bad at, or good and weak at, maybe that's a better way of saying it, then what I want to do is I want to write a position description, and we covered that in last week's show. So you just got to listen to the podcast. Here's what I do. Now, today's show was, okay, I've done that, then what do I assign to other people? And what we talked about were, what are some of the competencies that you could delegate out to people and or when you hire those positions, what do you look for? And so we covered first-line supervisor, somebody in marketing and sales, an office manager, administrative assistant, whatever title you want to give them. And what are some of the ones that you basically have to keep? Then what we did is we said, okay, so then – Let's answer the question of what do we build and when do we build it? And we talked about the 10 core processes of any business. And these are generic. Um, I do a lot of work in landscaping. My partner, Stephen Cohen, at Greenmark Consulting, uh, we have 13 because that's specific to landscape and snow. Uh, Another business might have nine. But in general terms, when I walk into a company, I ask questions around, how do you build a strategic plan? Let me see it. How do you put together the budgeting? How do you get new accounts? How do you deal with the accounts that you got? How do you make whatever it is that you're selling? Um, how do you develop new stuff? How do you bring in new employees and train and develop them? How do you manage the performance in the organization? Let me look at your financials. 
and have you taken your financials and use those numbers differently to tell you how you're doing day to day. Ten standard questions tells me where you're at. And then what we get down to here is, given that, what stages of development fit the best? And what I've learned here is that, and I'll kind of close on the stages of development or stages of growth, is this, is that none of these are preordained. In other words, if you're in phase one, you may not open your doors. You may not go to stage two where you're now, okay, you're in business. So, for example... What may happen is that the tasks are overwhelming. There's just too many things to get done, and you're by yourself, and you don't have anybody else helping you. You can't get it done in time. Or as you do your investigation, you may find out that this is really not a viable business idea, and we shouldn't start the business. Typically, what happens is that you run out of money. In other words, you take too much time because you've got to take some time to do your research to understand where you want to go, what you want to sell, and what, what is basically the model that you're going to use but you take too much time doing that, and suddenly when you go into sales, you expended too much capital. And what a lot of businesses will do is they'll buy buildings, and they'll get equipment, and they'll get furniture, and they'll get cars. And then when it's time to open the doors, if they don't start selling and get the break even by month two or three, they're broke. And so typically you need to do enough research, but you've got to get the market fast. Stage two, uh, typically this is cash star- starvation. What happens here is that you cannot produce enough money to prove the business idea. Now, it could be that it's a business idea that's going to take several years to prove. Um, that, that's a tough haul. So you've got to have enough capital to keep it going, but also is that your failure of your, of your system of bringing in new accounts. Because if you're going to service accounts and you're worried about the customer's experience, which is part of, part of that process, you've got to have accounts to, be, to care about. And so maybe where you're falling down is how we're marketing and how we're selling doesn't make any sense in terms of who we're going after. And so this requires things like you've identified who the perfect customer is, which is what would have happened in a strategic plan. So who's the perfect customer? You want to surround the perfect customer with messaging. So what is that? Is that social media? Is that uh, Google ad buy, you know, buying words? Um, you know, what is it? There, There is no right approach other than, who is your perfect customer and how I surround them with messaging. Um, and where we are today, given given the way that the uh, online world has taken off and the rules of spam, is that it's very difficult to market directly to people uh, where you're, it's obvious you're trying to sell to them, that the smartest move here is to educate them and the education process of making them better purchases, purchasers of a particular product and service actually is how you do the marketing, and they're going, hey, these guys are pretty good. They really helped me out. Let's start talking, and then how do we sell? But typically, companies don't get out of stage two because, remember, how do, how do I know I'm ready to move on to the next stage? I have sufficient and predictable cash flow that I can pay all my bills, and I have something left over. And so if you're not there, then you're cash starved, and that's why you go out. Now, stage three is where most of the clients that I work with are at, and that is – the failure point here is called the founder trap, which has been the focus of this season, and that is that the business owner cannot grow beyond themselves. They cannot delegate work. They cannot surrender, well, maybe not surrender control, but they can't deal with control that is not direct where you're dictating terms, you're telling somebody how to do something. And so the founder trap is why most companies get to stage three and they never go any larger, 
And what that really means is you've got a company, let's just say, that could do a million dollars in revenue if you looked at all your resources, your people, and you use them to the full capacity, and you're only making five or $600,000. That's what the fourth stage is. You grow into that. Uh, but what happens in a lot of companies is the founder cannot get out of their own way, and so therefore they're preventing the growth in the company. Stage four, the big thing here is the structural working capital, is that you grow so fast. On the books, you're making money. You just don't have any money in the bank account. And so you've got to manage the growth smartly in order to make sure that you can get through this. And the failure point at stage five is basically you made no decision about what you're going to do in the future, and now you procrastinate. And you procrastinate into the company begins to decay. And stage six, um, the failure point here when you're trying to reinvent the company is that you're doing it in a way that's totally internal. In other words, you're not including customers and suppliers in this whole conversation about how do we develop. Um, and it could be it's all internal processes. It could be, it may not be products and services. It may be you overhaul how you do business. But if you do this in the absence of having outside experts involved in it, then typically all you've done is contemplated your navel and then you've risked a lot of money and the future of the business on that you were right. And my experience with this is you're usually not. And so those are the pieces that go together with this. So listen to this podcast, pick up last week's podcast, which is on what the template ought to be. And if you go to our website, and that's growthradio.biz resources, um, I will have up today on downloads, I will have a copy or template of how to do a position description. So you can do one for yourself and you can do one for your employees. Um, so where does that take me? Okay. So I will close with absolutely take the survey. Uh, uh, who are you? Growthworks.biz resources. Click that. Take it. I'll give you feedback on it. And other than that, um, what I want to do is now get you ready for next week. And next week's show is going to be on the 20-year plan, the third part of it. And what we're going to now do is begin to put the whole thing together about how you're going to get out of the business, how you're going to grow it, how much money you're going to make, who you're going to hire, what's your business model, what position descriptions you need. And that's kind of how we're going to end um, this particular series. And then finally, we're going to be talking about how to sell the company, which includes an employee stock option plan. So with that, have a great weekend. Hope you enjoy Turkey Day, and we'll catch you next Friday. This is Eastman out.